You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Welcome to today's episode of the Professional Book Nerds podcast. Emma here, and we've got a wonderful group today to discuss romance adaptations, the ones we love, the ones we hate. Everyone say hello. Hi. Hi. Hello. (laughs) We've got Sydney, Jill, and Joe. This is going to be hopefully a silly, goofy conversation about all of our favorite Um, and maybe some least favorite uh, romance adaptations that we've seen come to our uh, big and small screens. I know we have a lot to discuss, so let's go ahead and kick it off with our first pick. Who wants to go first? I can go first. Yeah, you go first. We'll dive right in. So my first pick for favorite romance adaptations, there's going to be a lot of YA on this list. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, not sorry. I just think they do teen movies really well or teen TV shows adaptations really well. My first one is To All the Boys I've Loved Before by Jenny Han. Ugh, easy. It's such an easy <laughs> one. The books are fantastic. The movies are great. They're just so charming. And I, I feel like they really capture the essence of the books. I love the characters. I love the actors. I love all three of those movies, even though the second one is maybe sure. not the greatest. Mm-hmm. Sophomore slump. It's okay. You know, we have like a nice little pause in between the amazingness of one and the really cute way that it all unfolds in three. I love that one. It's such an easy one. And Jenny Han, I feel like is the queen of book to movie or book to show. I have not seen The Summer I Turned Pretty yet. That just came out on Amazon, I believe, but I absolutely can't wait to watch that because I have every faith. It's also amazing. Unpopular opinion. I actually don't love those books, which is funny. Oh no, that's okay. That's what we're here for. Interrupt (laughs) me all day. I didn't I just felt like they were a bit of a slog. I'm also like a rampant YA reader. So if I can't eat it like popcorn, read it like popcorn, whatever it is, um, then I have trouble. I have trouble with a slog. I want it to be, I want it to just like suck me into that world. And I was getting caught up in the language where I was like, this is not important. This is not important. This is not important. Whereas the films I was just there. I was dancing. I was cleaning rooms. I was falling in love. I was getting angry. I was mad about a scrunchie. It was just great. Yeah. And that's a good point though, because actually all of these that I've, that I have picked at least for my choices, I think it's because I actually prefer the adaptation over the book. So shocker, hot take. 
<laughs> I know. <laughs> Hot take. There, there are instances where I do feel like the adaptation, you know, I prefer it. And as people that we love, we like, we love books. We talk about how uh, more often than not, the book was better, but I think a good adaptation serves its purpose. Anyways, I'm just babbling. I love Who it. Would like to toss out one of their favorite or least favorite romance adaptations. Um, okay. So my first title is Simon versus the Homo Sapiens Agenda, following right along off of your YA feet, I am going to go the queer YA route. And of course, I'm sure all of you have seen the lovely adaptation, Love, Simon. So this is just, I don't know, it's a, it's a fun little romp where 16-year-old and not so openly gay Simon Spear prefers to save his drama for the school musical. But when an email falls into the wrong hands, his secret is at risk of being thrust into the spotlight. Now, change-averse Simon has to find a way to step out of his comfort zone before he's pushed out without alienating his friends, compromising himself, or fumbling a shot at happiness with the most confusing, adorable guy he's never met. It's funny, it's poignant, and it's a very 21st century coming-of-age, coming-out story all wrapped up in a little geeky romance. Uh, and it was it was a debut novel. Now there's so many wonderful pieces. And that's uh, Love, Simon, or Simon versus the Homo Sapien Agenda. I think both the book and the movie are really fun and you can't go wrong either way. Agreed. I love both of those. I'm happy to go next. I'm going to throw a curveball in there because this is not a traditional romance. And you want to talk about my most hated of all time because it's you know <laughs> it's just I'm feeling those vibes today it's the solstice it really should be a time of rebirth but I'm burning it down when it came out one of my favorite books of all time because what an emo kid I was um was the time traveler's wife <gasps> I love that book <laughs> Joe's already like I see where this is I can smell yep. where this is going <laughs> Uh, I remember reading the end of it on a bus to see my boyfriend in Toronto and I was ugly sobbing. I was trying to get myself together so I could go through the border. And I was like, they're not going to let me in the country because I'm like tears and mascara and mucus. I just like, I was a hot splotchy mess of a girl. And I was like, this is it. Like, this is the ultimate. It had everything I wanted. It had romance, it had music, it had shifting timelines, it had beautiful language, it was like a protagonist that you loved, but you didn't always want to follow, just really, really, really great stuff. And then somebody thought it was a great idea to put Eric Bana in the movie. And I was like, I don't understand what book you were reading, like, no offense to Eric Bana, who I'm sure is a fine actor, love his work in, um, the Star Trek movies. Good job, Eric. But like, that's not my Henry. That's not anybody's Henry. Like he did, like, I know that you don't always have to look like the characters say they look, but it's very specific style and vibe that pertains to the plot. Like he's supposed to look like a shaggy librarian. He's supposed to look like a runner. Like that's pretty vital to the plot. And that just like just ate it like groceries in hand eating it in the parking lot of a grocery store just like tumbling down smashing your wine it was so bad I'm interested because you probably have seen that there is a new adaptation that's come out a miniseries I've I have been burned so hard I'm really 
really scared to try it. But I also love that book. I feel like I should give it a shot. Has anyone heard anything about it? I have read no reviews. No. Okay. So I adore. This is. This should not surprise me. I know. I, I know, Jill. <laughs> I adore that book. Broke me. Like that ending just like broke me. Kills me. Um, Kills me. And I did not watch the first adaptation. I refused to for very similar reasons. And like. I want to watch the new one. I just can't bring myself to do it because I don't want them to like fuck it up. Which right, like, it's just such a difficult book. It's like I just I I and and I like the actress who's playing Claire. Like I yeah. like her, and I just I I can't. I know. Maybe no, we I know. Watch it together. Wait, I was just gonna say. I, I was gonna say together. we should get together and watch it together, and then like have something as a backup in case it goes very, very wrong. Because I feel like, like there. I feel like there are a couple of things. I think because this one is a series and not a movie, there's a little bit more time to explore. And I think that there there are other complicated books that have yeah. been successfully adapted yeah. as we'll talk about I'm sure romance and otherwise and they did not have to mess that up as hard as they did the first time around yeah. so I, yeah I refuse to watch the first movie but I'm yeah I'm here I'm here for the date well and so I just did check IMDb to see and the most helpful review on IMDb uh it just says a lot of naked Theo yeah that's so that's I mean, uh I don't know if that's okay. helpful or persuasive. That uh, it's part a of the lot plot. Of, it like, is from the plot Theo. that makes yep. sense. Um, but Theo James is, you know, hunky. I don't know if he fits your your image of Henry, but he's certainly something. It's not Eric Banna. Yeah. <laughs> it's not sorry, sorry, Mister Banna. <laughs> right, it's not the, the Hulk. Hulk. Which I feel like the timing. I don't know if I'm completely blurring the timing, but I feel like the timing of when he was the Hulk and then when he was in the Time Traveler's Wife movie was just like too close. Very close, right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Like, I am picture you green. Yeah. (laughs) It's like 10 feet tall. No. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I can do my first one. I'm going to also throw a curveball, but in a slightly different direction. My pick is Bridget Jones' Diary by Helen Fielding, which is a yes. of like Pride and Prejudice because you got Mr. Darcy, you know? And okay, my this, like I have a complicated relationship with Bridget Jones's diary, as I'm sure all of us who were like, you know, burned by the 90s and, and 2000s diet culture are because if you actually go back, I mean, like I love the movie. I love Renee Zellweger. I think I prefer the movie over the book. But if you actually go back and watch or read and discover what Bridget Jones's starting weight was at the beginning of the book and the movie, it will ruin it for you. Yeah, it's it's a bad time on that. It's a front. bad time. Yeah. And like, and the thing is, I have read things since then, like their comments, because I I think TikTok like had this moment of realization, but like six months ago that she weighs like stupid like like 150 pounds or something at most it's really yeah it's really small and people and it comes like well that was the point like she's not fat she just thought she was was like that is not 
No, that does not, that does not come across in the books for sure. It does not come across in the books and it doesn't come across in the movie because they actually like Renee Zellweger as Bridget Jones, her weight is heavier, not by much, but a little bit, like maybe 20 pounds heavier in the movie than in the book. But it just like, I, I love it. I love it. But this idea that somehow we were supposed to infer that the whole thing was that Bridget Jones had an eating disorder. No, that was never made clear to me. And it could just have been sort of the time and the culture at that time. But yeah, I did not get that whatsoever at, at all. Not at all. No. So. That's such a good choice. I feel like one of my favorite things about that movie that obviously the book couldn't capture because it wasn't, it wasn't for this purpose was that was like the ushering in of the new Hugh Grant era mm-hmm. of like just absolute comedic bastard and everything he's done since then that has fit into that role has just like, I, I, he can do no wrong. Yeah. Uh, Paddington too. Paddington which I was like, I don't know. I mean, someone told me to watch that movie and I was like, oh, that sounds weird. And I saw it and I was like, he's a genius. He should only ever play assholes. <laughs> He's so good at it. So and, good know, at it. And then Colin Firth as so Mark Dar- I mean, just Colin right. Firth is so good in everything too. Yeah, that's that's brilliant. What a great choice. Okay, complicated relationship, but I I do love Renee Zellweger in that. Like, I love that movie. Like, I I it's just a fun. It's a fun movie to watch. Where they like have the fight in the restaurant where they start playing It's Raining Men and they're like crashing through walls and like onto the street mm-hmm. <laughs> and like her friends i mean i i love the movie uh and and it is an adaptation fun fact so good love bridget jones i also love bridget jones and i don't think i ever would have gotten eating disorder out of out of either component really and I, I don't even know if it was the time because I feel like that would have been the discourse for the time that that would have been the like 90s piece that they were trying to at least sell home sure. one way or another right thin eyebrows and an ED <laughs> neither of those things were brought up enough to my comfort level no <laughs> oh. and in so since Bridget Jones is a little bit of a throwback pick, I am going to do my throw, throwback pick to the 2000s. Ooh. Uh, this is, well, I'm not going to say it's a guilty pleasure because you know what? We just like- All pleasures like. are valid. But I really enjoy the film adaptation, A Walk to Remember by Nicholas Sparks. I'm sorry. I love it. Mandy Moore. Mandy Moore. In- 2000s Shane West that's all I loved this movie it was so sweet I read the book after I saw the film I want to say and it's very different but I just prefer the film and that might just be because it's what I saw first and because Mandy captured the hearts of every teen tween in the early 2000s but I love that book. This follows Landon Carter. What's interesting to me is in the book, it's set in, I think the fifties, 58, which obviously they did not do that for the movie. They kept it in contemporary, like nineties, two thousands, I believe. Um, But in the book, Landon Carter 
is kind of the like hotshot in town at high school. He's, you know, dated a girl or two. Um, and he even would swear that he'd been in love before. And certainly the last person he thinks he'd ever go for in town is Jamie Sullivan, the daughter of the town's Baptist minister. She's a quiet girl who carries a Bible in her school books, and she seems really content living in her world apart from the other high school students. She takes care of her widowed father, rescues her animals, and helps out at the local or orphanage. Um, she's certainly never been out on dates, and Landon just like would not have ever thought. And then a twist of fate uh, brings Jamie and Landon together at the homecoming dance, and of course, Sparks fly and they fall in love because that's how Nicholas Sparks books work. Um, but I love this. I love everything about the movie. I think it was so sweet. Again, Mandy Moore has some like amazing songs that she performs in this. And I love that they kind of make uh, Mandy Moore look dowdy uh, by having a ponytail. Uh, that was like a real <laughs> thing that we did in the 90s. Telling. Like have glasses and a ponytail wear overalls and then your makeover uh is going to be you know your hair your bangs are out of your face and your hair is down you and take you out contacts that, yeah you, put out, <laughs> you take that your black <laughs> you take that black goody hair tie out of your hair yeah. and all of a sudden you're a Shake goddess your hair. like every 90s rom-com team rom-com yeah. ever had that not even just rom-coms because not really a rom-com right, right. but sparks, um but yeah yeah it was just really sweet I love that adaptation I occasionally remember that it exists and we'll watch it again from time to time but it was just very sweet and again like I don't think I could picture a more perfect pairing for that like moment in time than Shane West and Mandy Moore that movie is so good now I really want to watch it I don't remember the last time i I probably saw, I feel like within the last five years, like it popped up on some streaming service. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that movie. I haven't seen it. I did look up. It is set in contemporary times for the movie, okay. like 90s, like 2000s. Mm -hmm. But what's interesting is that if you actually look at the fashion that they were wearing, and maybe this was just the fashion of the time and I don't remember it, there is like a weird sort of, like you could have set this in the like you could believe this was set in the 40s or 50s except for some guy wearing camo shorts like it just yeah do you know what i mean so they yeah. sort of yeah. were like it's kind of evergreen like it's kind of evergreen a little bit um which yeah, is interesting to keep it vague maybe yeah it's, it's somewhat vague and i think be like the the whole mandy Moore kind of like trying to play her up as dowdy she's clearly wearing like hand-me-down <laughs> clothes that are probably older um yeah directed right. type thing which would which would lend to that looking from a different time period in order to make her look I I will say as well though because I feel like I called this out for certain things the soundtrack for this film is also really great well it's Mandy Moore it's got Mandy I Moore <laughs> it's got like some switch foot jams oh there's my a God, few others that I'm, I'm forgetting what they are but I know if I listen to it the moment I turn it on it just takes you back I've never seen it. <gasps> I know. I've also never seen it. Oh, oh Joe, thank God. Okay, so I'm going to tell you the most embarrassing story. It's not the most embarrassing, but it's up there. Um, I accidentally, I accidentally read a Nicholas Sparks book once. So I used to work in a library, of course, and I 
read A Trip to the Stars by Nicholas Christopher. And at the time, again, just loved it, loved it, loved it. And so I saw probably, I don't remember what it was, maybe it was The Notebook. I think it was The Notebook on the shelf and just messed up and was like, oh, this is by that same guy who wrote. And I read it and I was like, this is not the same at all. Uh, and I now declare Nicholas Sparks to be the the Lurleen McDaniels for the adult set. And I was like, I, yeah. I can't yes. with this. Manipulative. And I know we're going to talk about another author who is very similar in this yes. adaptation conversation. I can't, like, I don't mind being manipulated in certain ways emotionally in my books and my films, but this is just this is just too much. Like, this is just like, come on. It's the same reason Mandy Moore, the same reason that I can't watch shows like this is us. I just like start mm-hmm. laughing. I'm like, Oh, are you, are you, are you dying? That's sad. Ridiculous. Oh, you got killed by a crock pot. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> you got killed because it's you, so, oh. it's, just, it's just like, it's just this cloying insane crap that I can't do so but I, I have not seen it. but now that you're kind of like I mean it's fun and maybe this one right. is it the same vibe as the notebook yes. like is it okay I uh, never mind yeah I, mean, yeah, I was on I mean, and now I'm back off yeah I was like, like is it right like calling it like calling Nicholas Sparks the Lurling Mc, that's, that's that is pretty, accurate that's yeah. pretty accurate I, I had a feeling so it's not okay. like exactly the same vibe as the notebook but it's I think it's a yeah, it's maybe toned down a bit from the notebooks. Like, yeah, the notebook is, you know, like <laughs> notebooks. Really like, over. what's the worst thing you could think of? That's what this is about. Yeah, you're a bird. I'm a bird. But, yeah, but I mean, it's... we love like there's a sad element. There's like, yeah. I feel like any really movie where you've got a newsies cap on, you're in for a bad time. Really sappy, you know, I moments. Mean, it's a Lurley McDaniel. Yeah. Yeah. That's bad. Okay. I'm out. Sorry. I'm excited yeah. that you're excited. I mean, basically like all Nicholas Sparks books for that. They really are kind they of very really similar right. to that. But like, if yeah. you're going for like, if that is your thing, I love that there's a genre for that. Like my, my romance reading path is narrow, but there's a lot of stuff in it, which I like, I'm so happy. Jill, you and I have talked about this at length where it's just like, it has to fit this certain criteria to work for me, but there are so many authors who are working in that path and it fills me with great joy. So the thing is Nicholas Sparks is very clear that he doesn't write romance. Yes. Lurleen McDaniel. Right. Here it's tearjerkers. Yeah. They're tearjerkers. They're love They're stories. Yeah. yeah. He sort well, of hit like the one tenant of romance about, I mean, right. okay. Yeah. Right. The couple being together at the end. That's yeah. always a thing with right. Nicholas Sparks. He's very yeah. clear on his website though. Like it's on his website. He's like, I don't write romance. And I can never tell if he's saying that in like a negative way like right. I don't mm. write romance or if he's like right. I don't write romance yeah, he's like warning if you're yeah. here for like, the it's feels, never clear it's to different. me what yeah like, you can't read the tone from his website right. and so right. I I don't know what his his tone is regarding the romance genre but mm-hmm. yeah he that's a good jokers. point he writes tearjerkers there are love stories present yes if we're talking about the happily ever after romance then that you're right that's not nicholas i mean you could make the same argument honestly for the time traveler's wife not that it's a tearjerker for that same in that same way but like it's also something where romance is present i is it okay if i go next the reason is i just 
we were talking about, I realized that there's not a lot of books and like, maybe I was the wrong person for this today. I mean, obviously not because I have strong opinions and I always will. And that's great. But the number of books and movies of the same title that I've seen are few. And I'm real. I, I think I have a theory. So the next one I was going to bring up is on your list. Sorry if I'm taking everybody's pick, but The Hating Game is one of my favorite books. I love that book so much. I love that book so much. I know people who don't like that book and I'm like, I don't understand how your brain works. I love that book. I think it is funny and moving and spicy and hilarious. And I have not seen the movie and I'm thinking about other movies that are have the same vibe when you're looking at them in your queue. You're throwing things in Netflix or you're saying, hey, if you like this, you might also like that. The one that comes to mind specifically for me is the set. Up, oh, no. Set it up. Yeah. That? Which I love. I love that movie. That movie oh, makes me laugh. Cute. I've seen it multiple times. Um, I think it's very funny, but I do not think that it's based on a book. And all of a sudden I'm thinking like, maybe my problem is if I love a book enough to get invested in those characters, I do not want to see what you're going to do with them visually on screen. I'm such a visual person. So I watched the first five minutes of the film. And as soon as I saw the two of them on screen, I was out. And it's not because I, I can't let somebody else's interpretation be my interpretation. It's like I somehow, if if I'm really invested in a book, I don't want them to push those characters out of my head And I have a really hard time letting those two texts exist simultaneously for whatever reason. I just can't compartmentalize enough to let them stand on their own in certain cases. So I'll be interested to see if I can come up with other ideas as we're talking about books and movies, like maybe A Room with a View, which I know isn't a traditional romance, but I can see that movie and love those characters and read that book and love those characters without them being becoming like convoluted. Same with maybe Enchanted April. That's that's actually really interesting. I mean, actually, of course it's really, no, I'm just kidding. No, no, no. I, I, <laughs> I love <yeah>. you. <laughs> I just mean, I'm, I'm thinking about, uh, uh, it's so, like, I don't know where I draw the line on things because, yeah. like, one of my favorite book series is Discovery of Witches. I have not watched the TV show for that reason. Same. Like, I don't, I don't want to read it. And yet, mm-hmm. one of my other favorite books is Daisy Jones and the Six. And I'm very much looking forward to the TV adaptation. Yes. Yeah. And I don't, don't know if it's, is it like a cast? I don't know what it is. I don't know if oh, I right. am like, feel secure enough in my own interpretation. Oh, yeah. I'm like not worried about another, like somebody else's interpretation. Mm. I'm trying to think yeah. as I'm like, uh, you neither of those great, are, neither like those it, are really romances, but well, I guess Discovery, which is kind of is. And so mm-hmm. I'm just sort of, I don't know I think you made a great point with the discovery of witches because I ate those books up and I have tried to watch the first episode of the series probably six different times Mm -hmm. and every time I get like maybe five minutes further Mm -hmm. uh, through but I just for some reason it doesn't fit and maybe because it was already like went upon reading it I was like this is a little too close to Fifty Shades Twilight, yeah. not in content, but <laughs> just in vibe. Yeah. Like that's yeah. the, the, the romantic element is so much of just mm-hmm. that like 
super dangerous, toxic because you're with me. And right. seeing that yeah. translated, unless you're going full camp, right. like the yeah. Twilight movies, mm-hmm. I just don't think it's compelling. They were also like, it was like a little too sci-fi in the mm. adaptation yeah. process. The, yeah. Like the uh, books are, the books are very light easy to get through but when you hit when you hit the the show it's a little yeah they were like they really wanted to explain like what a vampire and what witches were and how they operated where you can be like ah they're witches and stuff and you're like okay i think jill your idea of daisy jones and the six is really compelling too because and i'm I'm throwing this out there i don't know that this is what i feel but i've it sparked something else in my head which was maybe with something like the hating game which feels like like a closed circuit. I'm like, it, it, this book exists. I'm happy for them to live their happily ever mm. after. I'm happy for them to be together with Daisy Jones. It's like, I'm, I'm interested in another version of it. Mm. Like it doesn't, mm-hmm. I, I feel like I could see a, a, an interpretation of Daisy Jones where I'd be equally engaged, interested. I don't want to see another version of the hating game, but also like, I think about the first two Harry Potter movies where I'm like, these are terrible because they're, they're just exact adaptations. Same with the the His Dark Materials series. I'm just mm-hmm. like I if I wanted to to experience this again, I would just read the books. Mm-hmm. Whereas with Daisy Jones, I'm like, oh, what are they going to do with this? This could okay. be interesting. I don't know. I'm I, I feel like I'm on to something, but I don't think it's I, I don't I, think I could say that as like a blanket I, statement I, I, for I all of them. I think you are, and I mm-hmm. I worry like I I think you are, and I can name a lot like other books that are not at all the genre on this particular episode yes yes but like (laughs) I I agree I think I think if it is sort of yes like a different version Mm -hmm. a different um like a different text it's like yeah it's its own thing separate from Mm -hmm. the book Mm -hmm. um and so, so the any- book can exist as its own thing. Yes. And this other thing can exist as this own thing. And even if they're related, they're still like, they're referential enough to one another that it it would be engaging or it'd be something I'd be interested in, but they exist. Like I, there might be a night when I want to curl up and reread Daisy Jones and the Six. There might be a night where I want to curl up and watch the series. And it would be for two I, different I, purposes, yes. maybe. Yes. Yeah. I, I think it's a question of, are you like are you is it like prescriptive or descriptive? Yes. are you oh like, i love that do you know what i mean are you mm-hmm. taking sort of the because again like to, i don't want to have to do this but <laughs> the third harry potter movie is my absolute favorite it diverges a lot from the actual text but it captures that vibe of the book mm-hmm. and yeah. i think that's sort of what it is so like i think the adaptations i like they may not necessarily super close word for word translations of the actual original text Mm -hmm. um and like bridget jones is an example right because it is adapted from pride and prejudice but it's this entirely different thing and the book and the movie as well even from the book bridget jones is its own it like captures that heart of the book even if it doesn't necessarily follow beat by beat the story Mm -hmm. so yeah and i feel like from what I've seen of some adaptations, I either don't like or don't want to watch. It's because it's they're trying too hard, yeah, to be to like be follow the text. Right, right. And I think they make the mistake of saying the the text was a hit, 
and they're trying to recreate something about the text that resonated with people into a different medium, which just isn't necessarily working. So I think my follow-up question too is, has anyone seen the Hating Game movie? And what were your thoughts? Oh, Emma, you've seen it? I have. What do you think? What did you think? It wasn't my favorite. Okay. Did you like the book? I've so I've uh, shockingly never read the book. Okay, interesting. It's one that I, you know, when those books like you get recommended and you're like, I know I'm gonna love this, and I just can't read it yet. Yes, it's mm-hmm. all the time. Where like <laughs> where you just need because you know that once you do, it'll be over. It'll be over. Oh, yeah, That's the, the hating time. game for me. It's on my list. It's been on my list for years, and it's just so I was like, I'll watch the movie. We'll dip a toe in. The movie mm-hmm. was all right. Yeah. It wasn't my favorite. I think I, and so, yeah, I'll, I'll be interested to see how it compares once I buckle down and read the book, but I think there's so much to be said. I love this conversation about just when we draw the line with adaptations versus the book. And one that I think goes along with the conversation, I'm going to throw it out is Bridgerton. Oh yeah. Because it's, you know, it's very much drawing from the books by Julia Quinn, but it is Mm -hmm. absolutely its own thing Yeah, from the musical choices to like the visuals, like it's even like, again, they're not even sticking to the book order in terms of who the main focus is on, on each season. It's very much drawing from, but it's 100% a Shondaland thing. And I, I love it. I love it, especially the most recent season of Bridgerton, um, I know there were quite a few differences from season two of the show and the Viscount who loved me book two, but man, was it compelling television. It was so good. And I love a slow burn. So season so two was just like elite for me. I'm really intrigued to see how that adaptation continues because it really does seem like they're doing what I think as a nice job at capturing what people loved about the series, mm-hmm. but just making it its complete own thing from the classical, you know, music choices to like modern songs, to the actors, to um, the different like love story hopping around. I love Bridgerton. Yeah. I was, I was impressed by that, that series as well. I felt like as we've been talking about with these adaptations and why you might adapt something to begin with, it's like, that's, that is the reason I would think or hopefully that's the reason that a lot of folks would make an adaptation is to, to make those changes. You can't hear, you know, modern music played in an orchestral style in a book. You can't even describe that and get mm-hmm. that idea across, but you just, it's, it's being able to play with everything that goes into a film, which is, you know, a three-dimensional text of text. Okay. I'm going to, Go with me on this one. Okay. Because I'm going to make it work for this episode. I'm so stoked. (laughs) So the movie, Knight's Tale, which is a romance, and we're going to say it's an adaptation of Chaucer. We're just going to go with that for this this purpose. Yep. Something interesting, I have read a Knight's Tale, right, the Heath Ledger movie, um, where a lot of modern music costumes are um, not at all accurate for the time period but if you read like if you read think pieces from people who have studied that time period the night a night sale does exactly what we're talking about here in terms of prescriptive versus descriptive because the music that is played is popular contemporary music 
which is what they would have been playing. They're just playing our contemporary popular music. So yep. that it makes sense to us. And the costumes as well. Like you have these characters, I forget her name, but like she shows up in these very high fashion things that are bright and colorful, not at all accurate to the time, but that tells you a lot about, like it translates it for us in a way that like you're saying, like you can't, you can't read those things in books. And yet if they're willing to look from that perspective, it, it makes it, um, it brings it to life in a different way. So I love nice that sale. so much. I also, like, that. thanks so for bringing true. Heath Ledger back into it. I feel like it's a nice palate cleanser after You're welcome. the year of our Lord 2022 and Pride Month to boot that we're still talking about that woman earlier. I I apologize for talking about it's hard. those books. Yeah. It's- but Heath Ledger, I feel like, brings it all back. Like, what a gentle soul. Do we want to talk? So out I love tonight's tale. Uh, yeah, I'll throw one. I'll throw another one out there. Um, yeah. This is. I don't know if it fits, and I'm gonna take a wild swerve. I'm gonna throw out a true crime nonfiction title a- adapted into a movie. I have heated feelings about. This is the House of Gucci by Sarah <gasps> Day Forden. Whoa! First and foremost, I think it is, I should be able to press criminal charges on (laughs) anyone who produces a movie over 90 minutes. If I have to go to the theater to see something that is two and a half hours, two and a half hours, that movie is two and a half hours, and it was bad. That's upsetting criminal i think after like truly once you're at the two hour mark you have to start paying me to stay (laughs) i have hot feelings about long movies in general yeah um because i'm i'm like notoriously bad about seeing any films uh two of my really good friends uh are obsessed with bradley cooper and we have a movie club where every weekend or every other weekend or when our schedules allow they sit me down and we watch one of his movies together. Um, And that's probably the only way I see movies is if someone says, sit down, watch this. And I love that energy, but that is what happened with House of Gucci. And it was bad, which makes me so sad because uh, to slander Gaga in the month of pride feels like I will be to slap in the face, you know, sent to jail. But uh, basically this is the true story of the murder of Milan's, uh, the murder in Milan's elegant streets of Maurizio Gucci, heir to the fabulous fashion dynasty. Um, And basically, I I guess, spoiler alert, like his wife, Patrizia is the one who sets it all up. I I don't think you can spoil something from real life in 95. (laughs) If I'm almost 30, this is definitely old enough. Um, the whole time I was watching the movie, I was just thinking about the Gianni Versace uh, docu. What, what is it? The American Story or whoever produces all of those, like the right. OJ one, which was just so much more compelling. And I feel like this is definitely a romance. That's how I'm shoehorning this in. It <laughs> is all about their life and their love together and how it quickly derails as Patrizia becomes very power hungry and money hungry and wants to steer Gucci in the direction of profitability uh, while also keeping it prestige. And as Maurizio decides that he's not in love with her for all of her scheming and 
um, wild antics, th- they start to they start to separate, and sure. uh, then eventually she murders. But also, some <laughs> Hayek is a fortune teller in oh, this. I mean, that's great. So it was lovely. I uh, I think you make an interesting point though about. I mean, I'm I'm also not a fan of like people just bloating the movie genre yes beyond 90 like if you can't tell a good story in 90 minutes or have a good editor to cut your movie into 90 minutes like if you if it's going to be two hours there needs to be a purpose i'm right. looking at you marvel universe i'm looking at you the <laughs> batman where i'm like you're three just hours this. right you're just like you needed an editor the same way that probably early stephen king probably needed somebody to reel him and mm-hmm. i love him don't that that is not a slam against stephen king he just you need good editors for these things and it's like the uh, the romance genre seems to be like a perfect vehicle for that that like peak 90 minute in and out storytelling like if you can't kind of like right have that like you know five act structure in your 90 minutes like what could you cut like could you could it be could you have sharper dialogue could you have better visuals could you let the viewer understand the scope of the relationship a little bit better you shouldn't i mean i'm not saying that you shouldn't have two hour movies if it's if it's right. need, if you need to but like and again this is also not me calling the romance genre formulaic because i do think that there are plenty of romance books that buck those conventions and do it well mm-hmm. i just think like what a what a lost opportunity i guess for a movie like that to Absolutely. be like hey we could have stuck with one direction which would have been this romance or one direction which could have been a thriller or whatever else and it was both of which hit we went 90 minute mark right Mm -hmm. and and to your point i i will i will restrict i will retract slightly and say like two hours is okay 90 minutes preferred but two hours i think that's still great if you can hit that because there is a lot of meat to this story but i don't feel like it was transformative in a way that sitting there for you know two and a half hours was worth my time or that it benefited the story but mm-hmm. to your point I think the formula of romance is beautiful because you you know what to expect it keeps the plot pumping and right I mean there are just there are some simple edits and we've all learned a lot of shortcuts in language for how to indicate uh, you know, the look that shows obsession, the look that shows when things have switched from love to lust or love to hate. And I, I think there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of exposition that, you know, just didn't pay out. Mm. Uh, I still am very excited to read the book because I think on the like crime front, great. Uh, I would have loved to see this as like a series, as a show, as opposed to one chunk of a movie, because I think if you want that, that drama, you could actually build it, but yeah. Um, So, so there's that. And uh, yeah. I think it's great. And so we'll, we'll caveat a little bit though. This is our, (laughs) these are our favorite or least favorite adaptations (laughs) featuring some type of love story. Love it. (laughs) Love it. Well, and I think that that's to the point though, like what we like about the adaptations, what we don't like, it all really hinges on different elements. And I think our connection to the original text Mm -hmm. and 
since we do know that romance adheres to a pretty strict, like it must have a happily ever after. These are just things with love stories, which can encompass all genres. So there you go. There you love go. It. We did well it. Done. We did we it. Did we it. got there. Also, awesome. um, sorry, shout out to Heartstopper by Alice Ocean. <gasps> yes! Oh my God. The, the graphic novels in the in the show, it, both are beautiful. Anyway, no, had to you're right. throw that. That is 100%. Throw some queer in at the end. <laughs> and that is literally like, it is a perfect graphic novel series and it is a perfect movie, uh, TV series. They're perfect. And we'll end on that perfect final note. Thank you everyone for this wonderful conversation and thank you for listening. We hope you enjoy. Bye. 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 Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode on overdrive.com and our library friends can purchase these titles in marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen Podcasts, visit evergreenpodcast.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Emma Dwyer, Jill Grunewald, and Joe Skelly, and presented by Overdrive. To learn more, visit professionalbooknerds.com. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.